Hey there, and welcome to At Home with Lauren Keenan, your authority on home, lifestyle, and interior design. This is the podcast where we help you to create a home that you love so that you can make the most of your home for family life and for work, especially during these very challenging times. And just to be positive wherever we can, because there's plenty to worry about right now, but this is a friendly space where you can learn something new and have a bit of fun along the way. Now, today's show definitely falls into the fun category, but we might teach you something along the way too. (laughs) Coming up, we've got some recommendations for what Lauren is loving right now. And we've got an expert to talk about why making sourdough at home has become the biggest craze to help people get through lockdown during the pandemic. It seemingly looks quite simple on the surface, but once you get into it, it's actually quite challenging, which is brilliant for what we have experienced and what we're still experiencing. But the other thing that it gives them is it kind of gives them this activity that they have to be mindful with because sourdough is one of those things that you have to be very conscious of and I think that's why so many people were attracted to it. I've been loving doing a bit more cooking actually you know making the most of this situation that we're in. Yeah and talking about bread just gets me so excited. I know bread with lots of butter I think. As much (laughs) as you can possibly jam onto uh, each slice 100%. (laughs) And we'll bring you more with Annika Manning from Bait Club shortly. So my nine to five is heading up Lauren Keenan Home, my interior design and styling business here in Sydney. But I work with people all over Australia to help them create homes that they love. Yep. And this is an independent podcast that we produce with new episodes that drop at 8am on Saturday mornings, Australian Eastern Standard Time, usually every couple of weeks, if not more regularly, so that you've got something fun and interesting to listen to on the weekend. You can listen to the show streaming anytime at laurenkeenan.com. Com.au or subscribe now in your favourite podcast app so that you never miss an episode. Right, let's kick off the show now with something positive and get into some recommendations from Lauren. What are you loving right now? There are a few things I'm loving right now, actually. The first thing that I've been loving doing over the last few months, really, when we've all been stuck at home, is occasionally sending a friend a random bunch of flowers. That's nice. Apart from your online shopping that you might have done, which I've been probably doing a bit too much of. I think we all have. um, It's not very often that people send you things in the post anymore. So there's a few daily flower delivery companies. Certainly in Sydney, there's Little Flowers, a daily bunch and florally. But I'm sure if you Google daily flower delivery in your capital city or your regional area, you'd definitely find a florist that was able to do that for you. It's just a really nice thing that you can do for a friend. Yeah. And I can vouch for this. I've done it for you a few times lately. You have. You have done it multiple times for me, just as a little business booster, like congratulations on this achievement or that achievement. It's been really lovely. The other thing I've been doing lately, and people may either love me or hate me for this, is that I've been reliving my holidays from the last few years via my Instagram, basically. Um, Every time we go on a holiday, we like to create a hashtag for that trip. Yes. It's just a nice way to keep all your images together, especially if you're traveling in a group or a couple. Do other people do this? Uh, Maybe it's just me being like a really weird OCD wanting to like catalog You are a bit nerdy in that respect, but it has (laughs) been good lately. I went and had a look at our Keenan Euro 18 hashtag, and it was just a trip down memory lane of a wonderful trip in Italy um, and in the UK a couple of years ago and it really got me thinking about, you know, when can we travel again? But I had some nice memories to look back on. So. Yeah, because we were posting from my account, which is um, at travellingman underscore AU and from your account, which is at Lauren Keenan Home. But in order to find quickly all of the photos from that trip, instead of scrolling back through our feeds, we can just search hashtag Keenan Euro 18 And we get all the photos from that trip. So if you're interested, you can jump onto Instagram and search for that uh, hashtag or perhaps revisit some of your own trips that you've taken recently. Love it. And what's your third recommendation today? 
My third thing I'm loving today is a book that I read recently, which I've just passed on to my mum and she's addicted to it now as well. It's called The Dutch House by Anne Patchett. And this was actually a book that I read um, with a really good friend of mine who lives up in Queensland. And we read it at the same time so we could discuss it along the way. And I just thought that's a really nice way to connect with friends who you might not be able to spend much time with face to face. It was a great book. I can thoroughly recommend it. Awesome. So three positive things to get you started on the show today and you can get more recommendations from Lauren in your inbox. You can and you can just go to laurenkeenan.com.au and sign up for the lovely list. Every month I'll send you some of my favourite things from books I'm reading and podcasts I'm listening to to new products for your home and beautiful interiors and architecture that inspires me and my work. Now, food is central to our lives at home. It's a great way to bring people together And that feels more important than ever right now. We've been cooking a lot more at home and I've been finding baking is a really great way to wind down. You know, once a week or so I say, right, I'm finishing work an hour early today. I'm just going to go and bake something. I love that. Last week it was chocolate brownies, which um, (laughs) we then ate progressively over the next few days. Of course. Um, And we've even tried uh, a few really nice meal um, delivery services and more on that coming up uh, in an upcoming episode. But some people have been taking it to a whole other level, taking on some really complex and complicated recipes and learning new skills in the kitchen, including sourdough baking, which has become a major trend at home in 2020. Yeah, our guest today has been helping people to upskill during the lockdown. Annika Manning is the founder of Bake Club Australia, teaching classes in person in Sydney for the last few years and also more recently online. The way Annika communicates makes baking seem so achievable. She's got a great way of explaining how bake but also the nerdy scientific side of baking to help her bakers bake with confidence in their own kitchen. Annika's been a writer, food editor and publisher working on magazines, newspapers and books including Gourmet Traveller, Good Taste and the Australian Women's Weekly. So for the lowdown on this bread baking trend is our chat with Annika Manning from Bake Club Australia on At Home with Lauren Keenan. So Annika thanks for joining us. I always thought that making sourdough would be pretty challenging, but it doesn't seem to have stopped a whole lot of different people using all the extra time that they've got at home recently to try to master this art of bread making. It's so interesting, Scott. It's um, one of those things that seems incredibly simple. And really, when you pair it all back, it is one of those very simple, basic recipes of flour, water, salt. But when you get into it, it's quite a challenge and you can have so many varying types of results. And so I think that's part of the challenge. And I think for me, that's where I've seen so many people get involved with bread baking and sourdough because it's something that they possibly hadn't tried before. It seemingly looks quite simple on the surface, but once you get into it, it's actually quite challenging, which is brilliant for what we have experienced and what we're still experiencing because people do have a little bit more time on their hands. But the other thing that it gives them is it kind of gives them this activity that they have to be mindful with because sourdough is one of those things that you have to be very conscious of what is going on with your dough, what the temperatures are, how it's reacting, all of those things. So um, whilst it is quite a simple process, the results can vary quite considerably. So, And I think that's why so many people were attracted to it in so many different ways. So we're going to get into that a little more with you shortly, but I've got to ask you first up, you know, how are you going? It's, it is a really difficult time and it's difficult in business. We're all trying to adapt to new ways of doing things. How is your business going during these challenging economic times? 
So it's been really interesting, Scott. Like I know right at the beginning, I kind of, when COVID hit for the first time and there was that realisation of what it meant for us here at Bake Club, I got the team together virtually, of course, and um, we put in place a plan. We have been doing online courses for a number of years now and we realised that that was going to be our focus um, in the short term but also in the long term. And it, it certainly was a goal of ours but it's just sort of fast-tracked the whole thing. So we were able to sort of turn a 14-day online course kind of around within a very short period of time because we were used to that format and that um, way of delivering baking classes. So we we were in a position that we were actually very fortunate. And whilst we couldn't hold any of our face-to-face classes, it meant that we could still continue to communicate and teach and be, you know, there for our students in a, just a different way. It's been really interesting for us. We've learned a lot, um, but I think a lot of our students have also learned that it's actually quite a good way to learn how to bake. So you've got a really distinguished background in food writing um, and more on magazines like Gourmet Traveller and Australian Women's Weekly. And you've also published your own books, uh, two of them, Bake Class and Mastering the Art of Baking. How did you get into baking and how did you turn it into a career? I actually had, as you said, I'd spent about 27 years in food print media um, across magazines, books, Stop newspapers. It. You did. <laughs> yeah, I did. I did. You don't I, look old I, enough to have worked no, 27 I am, years. Believe me, I agree. No. <laughs> I am. Well, I did two years of college and then I went straight into it. I mean, I was lucky enough that on my first day of college, I sort of found out all the different areas where I could eventually kind of take what I was learning. You know, somebody said to me, you know, you can go into food writing. And I was like, oh, that's what I wanted to do. Because I knew, I always knew there was something in me that always knew that I wanted to be in food. But when I was getting careers advice and all the rest of it, it was basically being a chef in a commercial kitchen. And I knew I didn't want to do that, but I didn't know what else was out there. So I was very fortunate to actually stumble across that I could actually become a food writer and a recipe developer and all of the other things that come with that. So I ended up going straight out of college into a book publishing company. So I was very fortunate, but I found myself about eight years ago now, um, I was retrenched from the job that I was in at the time. Publishing had changed a lot since I had started in it. And it had become something that, you know, didn't sit that well with me. I felt like we were producing not the magazine or the content or whatever we were doing for the reader. And there was other agendas that were encroaching in on what we were doing as an editorial team. It's the person at the other end of what you're producing that is the most important person in that whole ecosystem of publishing. Being in print media, there's only so much that you can pick up as a reader through words. And so I really wanted to create something with Bake Club that kind of bridged that gap and allowed people to experience not only the recipes and the words, but also to be able to experience in person and the the textures and the consistencies and the flavours that come with teaching all of that. Where baking came from, 
I grew up in southeastern New South Wales on the Monero, actually, on a sheep and cattle property, mainly sheep, fat lambs and wool. That's kind of where my love of baking came from. You know, we never had a bought biscuit in the house. I was one of those, I suppose you could call them really nerdy kids who always entered the local <laughs> show because I was so excited. Hey, we, all have our, we all have our thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I was also actually the other thing that was kind of, strange really was um, I was the only one that would order the cookbooks through the Scholastic Book Club. Everyone else was ordering comic books or fairy tales or I remember really clearly that whenever there was a cookbook that was kind of my main priority. So it was always it was always there but baking was something that has always sat really comfortably with me and something that I was introduced when I actually got to college was that the science of baking and that's something that I really specialize in and that we underpin all of our um, classes with now with that which is um, really fun to sort of geek out with our students. And what is it that you love most about baking? Is it for you, is it the, the process and the ritual of it or is it the end result it's and the sharing, the eating? <laughs> but no, there's lots of reasons why you might love something. I know I love to bake because I find it quite therapeutic to be in the kitchen and just be following yeah. along a recipe. Is it like that for you? I think so, absolutely. I, I know whenever I feel a little bit disconnected, you know, if life gets busy and, and I feel like I need some grounding, it's the kitchen where I'm sort of, I gravitate to. I'm so lucky that I do this on a daily basis and it's kind of my excuse that it's my work. But I think if I didn't do it for work, I would do it regularly anyway because of that. And also I think it's that whole thing. I love being able to bake something and share it with other people. Yes. And it's not necessarily the accolades you get, but it's that joy that you get from when people are enjoying something that you have created and I think that's something really special about baking is that there's very few times you can go wrong really with baking and when you bake for someone or gift something something that you have baked or share you know sit down and have a cup of tea with them and and allowing that kind of conversation to flow because it's been facilitated by what you have made, I think it's really special. So I think it's a bit of both. I, I love the process and the the groundedness that baking gives when you're actually making it, but it's the it's the sharing and the enjoying of it afterwards as well. And baking something that we've all got a, a connection to, you know, when you think about growing up, like you said, it was something that a, a passion you found when you were at school. You know, the recipes that we grew up with, you know, Lauren's grandmother, her so nan, date scones, date scones yeah. and oh, rock yes. cakes. Um, yeah. You know, my grandmother was a, a pastry chef in Northern England, so oh, you know, wow. she had the um, uh, the Eccles cakes, the Eccles cakes, and the, oh, and, the and the tart. And so, can I say Eccles cakes are one of my favourite. Things. We make those in one of my classes that I do and a lot of people haven't ever tasted or even heard of them before but they become their, like, you know, They're good. yummy. Yeah, good. <laughs> it's like anything. Good Eccles cakes are amazing. Bad ones, are you can just leave those, but good ones, oh, yum. Well, she, she was a legend at making those and they were beautiful. I've tried one in um, Tasmania and Hobart as well at, um, is it Pigeon Hole Bakers in, in Tasmania? Yeah, that's the one. And they actually make their pastry, it's a puff, but they put parmesan cheese in it to give you like a, a salty kind of um, yep. foil to the to the yep. really sweet um, sultanas inside. It's really great. Yeah, because cheese, cheese and particularly cheddar is the traditional accompaniment to Eccles cakes. 
So that's why oh, they right. would be doing that. And why they use Parmesan instead of cheddar is because cheddar is almost too soft a cheese. So it would actually make your pastry a little bit heavy and tough, but the Parmesan will give you the bite of the cheese without having to add too much to it. I love that idea. Well, it's, it's one worth checking out. Um, we've also been having a look at some of your latest creations that you feature on um, your Instagram at baitclub underscore Australia. I was especially interested in that classic short crust apple pie with vanilla bean ice cream that went up um, recently. That's a classic, but do you think people are starting to get more adventurous with the things that they're prepared to eat and also the things that they're prepared to try baking? I think they are, but I think it's so interesting you say that, Scott, because that post out of all of our posts that we have have ever done over the last seven years, we had the biggest reaction to it. And I think Mm. that's a real reflection of what we've seen happening in baking this year is that everybody is coming back to the classics. They're coming back to the comfort food. They want some sort of, they're looking for some sort of security in this time where we, we don't really know what to expect or it's it's very unpredictable basically so they're looking for the things that are predictable that are grounding that are comforting the comfort of familiar yeah yeah and that are familiar absolutely so I think and a lot of people that may not be familiar with baking or haven't baked a lot before what they're doing is they're recreating the things that they remember of their childhood or if their grandmother made or their mother may have made I think at the moment and what we're seeing and certainly with the sourdough, people are being drawn to the classics and the ones that are really quick and easy but also the more challenging ones so that they, you know, feel like they're being very much engaged with that whole process as well. But there's this real trend towards classics. That really makes sense when you think about the period that we've gone through, things like um, MasterChef and the the gels and the foams and the Mm. all that sort of stuff. And then you think about how that's reflected through into some of the bakeries and patisseries that we go to in our big cities in Australia, you know, you're seeing some really complex and complicated desserts, but the things that the pastries and the breads and things that I like to sort of- That we know and love. Yeah, Yeah. I sort of Mm. am gravitating back towards that. And I think there's something quite beautiful in the simplicity of of those originals. You know, we're all still loving MasterChef and we're all still loving watching, particularly this this season, I've got right into this. Season. Good, isn't it? It's really, we, hugely. We weren't sure. It. We weren't sure what we'd think of the new new judges and the, oh, the new format, that. but it's I awesome. I'm doing a great job. I really, I'm yeah, really enjoying too. it. Really enjoying it. But I think you're right. I think there's there's those times where people feel like that's sort of almost over the top and almost frivolous in a way but an indulgent is there's a place and a time for that but then there's also a place and a time for the comfort and the classics as well and particularly if you are a beginner baker starting with the classics is a really great place to start because you have some sense of what you're aiming for to you know what what you can expect at the end of the process which is great and something to build from Yeah. Can you tell us some more about the types of people who've been joining the online classes over the last few months? Who are these people who are signing up to your online courses? So it's interesting. I mean, most of the majority of them are from Australia, but we do get them from Hong Kong, America, New Zealand, Singapore, South Africa, a big range of, I mean, we, we run sort of beginner baker online courses, but also more advanced courses like our sourdough. (laughs) Incidentally, I mean, we launched the sourdough after COVID hit because we could see this trend and it's been amazing and we do a science of baking course as well so they're more the advanced bakers but they're they're people that are interested in extending their skills they're interested in meeting other like-minded 
bakers. And, you know, it's it's kind of a hobby for them or they're looking for something that they can really um, extend their skills. But it's a really sort of pleasurable pastime at the same time as well. Get your hands a bit dirty, get in there. and Yeah, absolutely. And not be afraid of it, you know, because I think baking is one of those really approachable things. It's quite a low cost hobby too. You know, if anyone, if everyone's got a kitchen and an oven really you can do it with very few basic ingredients as well. So I think that's a, a real appeal to it. We all know everybody's ovens are different, right? So, um, and everybody's probably got different kitchens and different utensils. Does that make it harder to do it on, to, to teach online and to um, to get a baseline? Yeah, a, a result that is kind of matching across all your students? It does, but I think that's why online works so well because they get to know their equipment, their oven, their utensils. I mean, there's a there's a part of a whole module in one of our courses that we learn about getting to know your oven. So we teach them how to get to know their oven and how to get the most out of it. But the other thing is too, we do a lot of sharing of their baking. The recipes that I give them, I know them very well. So I can actually look at their baking and know that they're running their oven is running hot or running low depending on the texture and the crumb uh, the crust all of those things and so I can actually talk them through that from that perspective I actually really love the online because you can actually individually troubleshoot each you know each person's equipment kitchen oven all of that sort of thing. All right, so our social feeds have been full at various stages over the last few months of people tackling sourdough making in the kitchen. I want to dig in a little bit more into, you know, what makes sourdough special. We love eating it, um, but I want to know, can you tell me what the hell is a sourdough starter? So what a sourdough starter is, it can also be called a sourdough mother, um, and it is the the base of your sourdough bread, and it's basically a way of capturing the wild yeast that lives around us and um, in the air and on the surfaces around us. So before commercial yeast was available, that is the way that people captured the wild yeast and used it to bake leavened breads and other leavened baked products. Um, and in our course, we I actually teach people how to make their own. And basically, it is a combination of just flour and water and a bit of love um, and nurturing and a bit of warmth in temperature. It likes to be kept at, at between about 23 and around about 27, 28 degrees for it to then to ferment. It's actually the bacteria that gives the mixture the sourness so that's why it's called a sourdough bread as well so you're capturing the wild yeast the bacteria is is um, nurtured and allowed to develop into a really beautiful pleasant sour flavor and then that's what you then use to leaven your bread does it take time to develop or can you have a good sourdough starter within a couple of weeks yeah a couple of weeks is usually long enough you need to sort of monitor all of the factors like temperature and the type of flour that you're basing it on and the water that you're using but if you follow the kind of rules you will have generally a good strong healthy sourdough starter within about 10 days it will get better and the flavor will develop more as it gets older. It sounds a bit like looking after an indoor plant, making sure it's got the <laughs> in the right position and it's got the right amount of moisture and the right amount of warmth. <laughs> 
It does. And we joke with my students. They're like, oh, am I becoming a bit of a helicopter parent, you know, helicopter parent with my sourdough? And they're like, oh, I've got it at 23.4 degrees. Is that okay? You know, and you're like, yeah, yeah, no, let's just let it go. It'll be fine. But yeah, no, you've got to be conscious of it. But at the same time, you know, it's just a natural thing that happens um, and, and what you're doing is just harvesting and capturing that wild yeast. So it's something that you don't really need to orchestrate as much but just give it the environment that it needs to ferment and to develop. And so once you've, you've baked your sourdough, what are the telltale signs of a, a perfect loaf? Do you know when you cut into it straight away that you've nailed it or, you know, how, do you, how can you tell? Do you knock on the bottom? Yeah. Yeah, knocking on the bottom is pretty good. Knocking on the bottom um, and it sounding very hollow is a good sign that it's been baked all the way through, which means that there's been enough water evaporate from it and allowed it to rise and it's got a really good volume and there's lots of air incorporated in that loaf. The other telltale signs is, yes, when you cut into it, the crust will be nice and crisp and crunchy. And the crumb itself, it depends on the protein level of your flour and how much water that you've used, um, which is referred to as the hydration level of your sourdough, as to what volume you will get in your bread, how large and open those big air pockets will be. But generally speaking, everyone has their own idea of what the perfect sourdough loaf is. So it's working out what all of those variables are, how they influence the outcome, and then being able to work and push and pull all of those elements to create the perfect sourdough loaf for you. But for me, it's having um, some chewiness to the crumb, which means that I've used a high protein flour and a high hydration dough. So lots of water in my dough as well. And that flavor too. So the flavor is reflective of your sourdough starter. And I like quite a lot of sourness in my sourdough bread, but a lot of people like a more mild flavor. So it's, it's very personal. And that's the fabulous thing about sourdough bread that every loaf is different. And what about your favourite way to eat it then? Is it um, is it toasted? <laughs> is it fresh? Is it Vegemite or jam? Is or... it cultured or uncultured butter, oh, salted? Gosh, yeah, what what, what do you really do? really testing me there. I have to say I have been <laughs> known because I always say to my students, don't cut the loaf until it cools because you'll squish down the crumb and make it quite dense. But I have been known to cut off that little end bit with lots of crust yep. on it, still warm. We do that too. Big lashing of So when we buy it from the shop, we, we'll, we'll buy the loaf. <laughs> and there's an, there's an in-joke, there's a running joke. The running joke is, you know, we start slicing it up ourselves for our breakfast or whatever we're having, but there's that bit on the end and, and we say, oh, we should just test that make bit sure to make sure it's, it's okay. okay. Yep. L- lashings yep. of butter, cut it in half, and then we, we both eat it and go, Yep, it's, it's fine. okay. It's, it's good. fine to yeah. See, you're really good. You share. I don't share my bit. <laughs> if I'm here alone, I'll definitely eat that bit by myself. But if he's here, I feel obliged to cut yeah. it in half. But then I think the other the other way I love having it is for breakfast and toasted and with some, you know, pan-fried mushrooms and some eggs and some spinach and sort of really savory breakfast or in the afternoon I have been known to make a cup of tea. It's that four o'clock slump slice of sourdough, lashings of butter, big drizzle of beautiful honey. You can't go wrong. You're making my mouth water right now. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's nearly four o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> um, I wanted to ask you as well, how many times do you think you have to make sourdough to really get good at it? Is it, it's, is it something that people can do really well to begin with or do you have to practice? It is one of those things that you are constantly learning and I've been making sourdough for years and years and years now and every time I make a loaf, I learn something new. This is another thing that I say to my students is that don't feel that you have to nail it within the first week because what you experience and and whether they you deem them as kind of fails or or successes you learn from every single loaf it's this continuous learning process and I think that's also what's beautiful about sourdough because you can make a cake and make it say three or four times you're like yeah nailed that that's great love it but you're not learning from it anymore whereas sourdough it really is this continual learning process honing your skills yeah (laughs) well speaking of skills when I told some family and friends that I was interviewing you today for the podcast there are a couple of baking questions that they pleaded with me to ask you so I hope you'll indulge us a couple Um, (laughs) I'm sure you can um one very common one is what causes a cake to crack on top when it's cooking and when it comes out of the oven and it's no longer lovely and smooth on the top but it's got to be cracked down the middle oh that's a great question do you know that is probably one of the most common questions I get asked there's a couple of things and I've actually got a blog on my website if anyone wants to take a look about why and it's called why did my cake crack Okay, but the main reasons are your tin is too small for the amount of batter that you're using. Oh. The other thing is that your oven is too hot. So whether your oven is running too high, it says to put in a 180 oven and your oven's running at say 190 actually, but you don't realize that. The telltale sign for a sort of an oven that's running too hot, the cake will actually dome and crack on the top. The other thing is that the recipe may have too much um, leavening um, in it. So whether that's mechanical leavening or chemical leavening that's been added, that's probably an issue. You mean like a baking baking powder or something? Yeah, baking powder. So chemical leaveners are either bicarbonate of soda or um, baking powder. And then mechanical leavening is anything that you incorporate air by a mechanical method so whisking beating all of those sort of things but that that's not your issue that's not your problem that's that goes back to the recipe itself okay my, my usual solution is just to put a bit more icing on the top to disguise yeah. any um any issues <laughs> yeah and, you know, there are some recipes because of the texture that the recipe writer actually wanted to give that particular cake it will just crack but you're right Everything can be solved by a dusting of icing sugar or an extra slathering of icing. (laughs) Well, another thing that can be solved and our next question with some extra icing is why do some cakes look amazing when they come out of the oven but you put it on the cake rack to cool and then you come back 10 minutes later and it's sunk in the middle? What causes that? So there's a couple of reasons for this and um, it's all to do with basic science is when a cake cooks there's a certain amount of air that's incorporated in there or liquid that is turned to steam which actually helps the cake to rise and if there's not enough structure in that cake to hold that incorporated air when it comes out of the oven and it cools it's going to deflate. One big issue that um, I see a lot of is with melt and mix cakes and people say it's a really easy recipe I heat the say the butter the milk the golden syrup I combine it with the dry ingredients and it's still quite warm I put it into the oven it rises beautifully and then even 
in the last five minutes of baking, it just sinks. And this is very much to do with all of that chemical leavening, say bicarb or baking powder, has been prematurely activated by the heat of the mixture. So it's actually working, doing its thing out of the oven before it even gets into the oven. So by the time it gets to that stage in the baking process, it's lost all of its energy. It's like, oh, I'm done. And the, the structure of the cake hasn't set yet and so it sinks. So there's sort of two things there that it, a cake can actually sink because of that chemical leavener being prematurely activated or it can sink when it gets out of the oven when that structure isn't strong enough to hold that air. And you get that a little bit with sponges. Like if you do a tight, you know, one interesting thing that I get some of my students to do is to set up their their phone with the time lapse and just film their sponges cooling on a cooling rack. And it's amazing how much a sponge will actually deflate, but that's all part of a sponge because that's what makes it so beautifully light and airy that it doesn't have a really strong structure around it. So are you running a bait club or is it like a a science lab and a (laughs) chemistry school? (laughs) So I told you I love all this geeky stuff. It's terrible. I hate science at school, but you put a baking element into it and it's like, oh, sorry, you'll have to cut me off if I'm... I've got one more query, uh, and this is one of my personal ones that I wanted to know the answer to. How do I know if I've creamed the butter and the sugar long enough? Because I feel like it's in my KitchenAid for quite some time, but then sometimes I can still feel a little bit of grain in that sugar. Is that something I should be concerned about? I have to say this is the number one question I get. There are quite a few recipes that say cream until the sugar dissolves, but it really depends on the proportion of butter to sugar. So if you've got a high proportion of butter, low proportion of sugar, there is a chance that the sugar is going to dissolve. But if it's equal or the other way around, you haven't got much chance of that butter dissol- that sugar dissolving. And it's also the type of sugar you use. So if you use icing sugar, it's going to dissolve more readily than you do, say, like a demerara, like a coarse demerara sugar. But in saying that, Lauren, what you need to be more mindful about when creaming butter and sugar and getting it to a point where you're ready then to add the eggs is that it has changed consistency and color to a point where it changes no longer so you'll notice when you start beating butter and sugar it's quite it's quite a rich yellow color it's quite grainy and the more you beat it the softer the butter that um, becomes the more air you incorporate in it and it gets to a point that it doesn't change consistency or color anymore and that's the point at which you can go right I'm ready to add the eggs because a lot of people go oh right. I think okay. three minutes and it's like yes but that's just a guide what you need to do is is take notice of its texture and how its it's changing yeah. yeah how it's changing how I sort of teach my students is that you take a little sample. So you take a sample at the beginning of beating and then maybe a minute later and then a minute later and then a minute later. It does mean you have to stop the mixer every minute or so. You don't have to be right on the mark. Put a little sample around the edge of a bowl and it'll get to a stage where it doesn't change anymore and then you know it's ready. So, And having nice soft butter helps as well. Yes, I've made that mistake before of um, not letting it sit out of the fridge for long enough. Yeah. Some, but, great, some great tips there. Well, there's lots of excellent tips on Annika's website too. I was having a look the other day. So um, a great spot to look if you need some uh, baking tips as well. And some good insights into the chemistry of baking, which is um, a lot more interesting than I, than I realised. Now, 
if someone's been listening and perhaps maybe you know watching MasterChef or Great Australian Bake Off or maybe checking out some YouTube videos and seeing some great baking that sort of inspired them, what would be the types of recipes? Maybe give us one or two that would be a good place to start if you haven't really done much before. I would start with basic recipes that use a method what I call the measure and mix method where it's measuring your ingredients and you're just combining them. And usually it's combining your wet ingredients all together. You're combining your dry ingredients all together and then you're bringing both those different mixtures together. Usually these are recipes like brownies, some quick mix cakes. They're the type of recipes that I would absolutely start with. They're great ones to also get the kids involved because they are very um, simple. There's, you know, little technique, but they give really good results as well. I would avoid, not necessarily totally avoid, but move on to them later on is things like pastries and meringues um, because they are a little bit more tricky. There is a certain amount of technique involved in those. And you also need to be aware and more familiar about how ingredients work, how they come together, how they behave when they are brought together. But certainly those quick mix kind of recipes are a really great place to start. And do you think things like, um, some people might call them cheats items? We like, wouldn't do that. Well, things like, you know, <laughs> store-bought pastry perhaps, even meringues or, or things that you can incorporate into a, a baking store style recipe so you get used to how things like cream and and butter and sugar work together and how your oven works that's okay to start in that in that way absolutely incorporating that into your baking to start with but not having to make it from scratch is a really good thing because you get to know the texture you get to know the flavorings all of that sort of stuff and then once you do eventually move on to making those things yourself you can really appreciate the difference between them and what would you say is the one must-have kitchen uh, appliance or tool when it comes to baking the thing that people should invest in if they're into baking can i give you two because yeah i've got one that really um is kind of the logical one and the one that I probably should tell you and then I've got one that's my favorite so the the one that I as as the baking teacher should tell everybody to get is a set of scales it makes just life in the kitchen baking so much easier it makes your measuring more accurate it means you can use it for things like if you're doing two tiers of cake that you can measure the batter out so you get equal quantities of batter in each tin. If you're doing bread rolls and you want your bread rolls to be evenly measured as well, you can weigh your dough and then divide it by however many rolls you're making evenly. Biscuit, you know, I've even had students measure each individual biscuit as they go, I don't go that far. (laughs) But, you know, those ones that love their scales do, which is great. Um, So scales. Get the ruler out to measure the circumference as well. Yeah. They're actually relatively inexpensive to buy, but will last you years and years and years. So well worth um, investing in a set of scales. The other thing that I would highly recommend is what is known as a spoonula. And it's a combination of a spoon and a spatula. They're usually made of silicon. They're like a silicon spatula, but they have a bowl shape. In the, in oh, the I've seen those being used on MasterChef. Actually, them. wondered what that was. We need one they're of those. They're brilliant. Yep. They're absolutely brilliant. So they're, you know, as their name suggests, a combination of a spoon and a spatula. So you can scrape a bowl with it and then spoon your mixture into your cake tin. They're great for scraping down the sides of your sourdough jar. I've got 
Oh, I have to say I've probably got about six or eight of them in my kitchen. Um, <laughs> I think you're you know, allowed since you are a professional baker. <laughs> one or two will be, you know, enough. But once, I mean, I know all of the students who, my students who have bought them in the past say that they could never live without them. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you today. Thank you so much for your time and for talking to us about the science and chemistry as well as all I've of the- i so uh, much. Absolutely. <laughs> the, the, the fun stuff that people are getting up to during, during lockdown and while spending more time at home. If people are interested in learning a bit more about your classes or a bit more about what you're doing at Bake Club, what should they do? Oh, they can just find us on our website, which is bakeclub.com.au. Um, and there you'll find all, you know, all the resources, all of our classes, all of our social links if they'd like to follow us there. But, yeah, come and say hi. I'd love to, to see you all there. And you're still taking new students? Yeah, absolutely. We've just opened a new sourdough class, which actually we've only just opened it, but it's selling pretty fast. So, um Hopefully when this goes to air, there might be a few spots left, but we're, we're also doing all of our other online. And excitingly so, we're just about to announce getting back to face-to-face classes as well. So um, that's really exciting. So hopefully we'll be able to sort of kick classes off again in sort of September, October this year. And you do those in Sydney? Yeah, we do them in Sydney in Rosebury. So we have a, a kitchen studio in Rosebury. It's a beautiful open studio space and um, we love being there. So we, we can't wait to get back there. Itching to get back. That sounds yeah. amazing. Well, thanks again. It's been so great speaking with you today and um, can't wait to get back in the kitchen this weekend. Yes, <laughs> that'd be great. Thank you, Lauren. Thank you, Scott. It's thanks. been great. Thanks, Danica. If you want to find out more about classes at Bake Club, you might be interested in taking one up. Go to our website for the links. And if you're interested, Annika's also written a couple of books, Bake Class and Mastering the Art of Baking. There's links to find out more about those books on our website as well. It was such a pleasure chatting with Annika. I found her a really generous person with her information. And that's always a pleasure when you're talking to someone who's really knowledgeable about a topic and they're more than happy to share it. So next week, we take you inside one of Annika's sourdough classes in a bonus episode with a couple of her students, including food and lifestyle blogger Jenny Wong from Sea Taste Do. And then after that, I'm going to take you through some of the latest trends in plants in our homes. Plants really bring a room to life, and I never design a space without including them. So I can't wait to get into that with author and greenery expert Alana Langan from Ivy Muse in Melbourne. Of course, you can listen to the show anytime online at laurenkeenan.com.au. You can check out Lauren's interior design and styling work while you're there. And if you want to hear new episodes as soon as they drop, make sure that you subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast app. Now just hit that subscribe button. Now a shout out to Damien, who is listening in Western Australia, one of our male listeners. Oh, very good. It is. Like to keep it all very inclusive for everybody. Absolutely. Now he has posted a review in the Apple Podcasts app and he said that he loves the show because we make things easy to understand. And he says, Lauren, that he hopes one day that you get your own TV show. <laughs> That's hilarious. And I can assure you now that um, I'm more than happy just behind the microphone of the podcast. And if you've got a topic or a question about interior design and styling that you want Lauren to tackle on the show, you can hit her up on the socials at Lauren Keenan Home or email lauren at laurenkeenan.com.au. And if you're looking for an expert to work on your home, anything from a room refresh to a renovation or a new build, all you've got to do is get in touch with me and ask. And that's it for the show today. And if you're in Melbourne, we're thinking of you. Hang in there. We'll catch you on the next episode of At Home with Lauren Keenan. 
your authority on home, lifestyle and interior design. 